This is Tech Guide with Stephen Fennec, the place to stay updated and educated. Hello and welcome to Tech Guide, episode 453. This is the podcast that keeps you updated and educated about the latest consumer tech news and reviews. Thanks for listening. Thanks for downloading. Stephen Fennick here. I'm the editor of techguide.com.au. On this week's show, how I shot the super blood moon through my telescope. Google Maps now comes to Sydney train stations. And Panasonic introduces a Lumix camera that allows users to live stream their content. In the Tech Guide reviews, we're going to take a look at the new Apple TV 4K. We're going to also check out the Dyson V15 Detect. And we run our eye over the LG Gram laptop. And your tech questions will be answered in the Tech Guide help desk. And it's all brought to you by Netgear, the company that keeps you connected. And Norton, the company that keeps you protected. Well, a week ago, nearly a week ago, there was the blood moon. It was Wednesday night, so it was May the 29th, I think, from memory. No, no, May the 29th, May the 27th it was. And it was a Wednesday night. And this was a, a big event. A lot, a lot of people, even if you're not an astronomer, you would be interested in uh, in taking a look at this event. And what, what the blood moon was... Uh, was the it was an eclipse of sorts it was the earth's shadow passing over the moon so earth sun behind us casts a shadow and it goes across the moon and the the shadow refracts the light in the similar way that the sunset refracts the light and it causes that pinkish hue hence the name the blood moon but the bonus this time around was that it was also a supermoon because the moon being in, in an elliptical orbit to Earth was in one of the closest parts of its orbit. So not only did we have a supermoon, we also had a blood moon. So this is, this is like grand final week for astronomers uh, and astrophotographers. And I've been in, into astrophotography for the past year. I've, I've picked it up and uh, it's become a real passion of mine. I, I'm really into now uh, shooting deep sky objects, galaxies, nebula, the moon and, and planets and uh, have uh, put together some equipment to help me do that. And I decided, well what better way to shoot the, the super blood moon than through my telescope. So I had a lot of people I did share on social media back then, back on Wednesday night, my images of the super blood moon, and they, they went uh, very popular. They had a lot of likes, a lot of comments, and I did have a lot of people, though, asking me, how did I do that? So what was the setup? Because I, I do know that there were plenty of you who were out there with your phones and with your cameras and lenses and all kinds of things. So... I thought I'd share with you how I captured the super blood moon through my telescope. Uh, it, it was uh, normally shooting the moon uh, is, a t- is a totally different prospect to what it was on, the, on that night because the moon is such a bright object. It's so bright that you, you can only shoot it for a fraction of a second or otherwise you're getting just a white, bright white circle. So I had to decide on a few things and being uh, and also choosing the right telescope. The telescope that I chose, I've got a few. Uh, the one I chose was the Skywatcher Esprit 120ED. It's a 120 millimeter telescope. 
It's a refractor telescope. It had a focal length of 840 millimetres. So the focal length is important because that basically tells you how big the object will be in your image. So the lower the focal length, the smaller the object will be in the image. I, I do have another telescope, the Celestron Edge HD 925, 9.25. It's 9.25 inches, the, the aperture, the, the, the lens on the front. And it has a massive focal length of 2,350 millimetres. So if I had chosen the Celestron, I would have had these amazing images, but of, of a part of the moon. It's, it's the, the moon would have been too big in the frame to fit in completely. So I thought that uh, had to had to go down to the the Celestron the sorry the uh, Skywatcher uh, at 840 millimeters so the, the Celestron though at that focal length is really good for really real deep sky objects like galaxies and nebulae which which are uh, a lot further away they're like tens of millions of light years away and, and pretty small uh, invisible to the naked eye of course but with that kind of magnification that that kind of focal length you do have a better shot at, uh, at, at capturing it. Now, with normally with astrophotography, what's involved is long exposures. Whenever you see those brilliant shots of nebulas and, and all these colourful deep sky objects, that's, that usually is a result of exposures, exposures so images shot not, not in seconds but measured in minutes. You, you, there are astrophotographers, myself included, who sometimes capture five-minute exposures at a time. So all that light pouring into the lens, it helps to bring out the detail in what you're shooting. And then what you do, you normally oh, – this is common practice among astrophotographers – you normally shoot – lots of those images for hours and then stack them using software to bring out the detail and the colour and then they go into to in a bit of processing using Photoshop. But that that's the normal procedure for deep sky astrophotography. But in the case of the moon, uh, in on this particular night and any night, it was only a matter of it was a second or two uh, exposure time that we needed. But I didn't want to have that good that good focal length, that good magnification, and I was really really happy with the results. If you if you're not following me on Twitter, on Instagram, or if you're not uh, if you're not uh, my friend on Facebook, of course, you wouldn't have seen these. So I have posted them on Tech Guide for you to take a look at them and. Uh, I'm really happy with the result. They came out with that sort of pinkish hue on on the uh, on in the shot, and there's even if you look closely to the to the images, there is even a couple of stars that I capture in the background. Something you don't normally do when shooting the moon because it's so bright and it just really dominates. It, it just blanks out everything else around it. So normally when I shoot the moon, it's normally a 0.1 of a second exposure because it's so bright. But in the case of the blood moon, I had to I, I, I experimented with a few different exposures, 10 second exposure, five second exposure, and even a three. And that that was to bring out the detail in the shadow. Because it was a lot darker than normal, but yet there was still all this detail, that long exposure helped bring out that detail. So the, the photos that are on Tech Guide now that you can see, they are actually they are three second exposures. So Remember what I said. Normally, the moon is a 0.1 of a second exposure because it's so bright. So, uh, and uh, and there are image other images of the moon that I shot on previous on the previous night, and also on the back end of the eclipse. So the shadow was passing across the other side. So the the procedure with the telescope is normally I have to uh, I, ha I had the Skywatcher telescope. I've also had the Skywatcher mount, which is the EQ6R. 
and the idea there is to the north, the mount has to face south. It also has to be level, so had to find had to level it, have it pointing in the right direction. The reason it needs to point south is really important because it needs to align to the south celestial pole. Now you have to remember, I mentioned earlier, some of the images we take as astrophotographers can last minutes. So if you're shooting an object for five minutes, you have to account for the rotation of the Earth. If you don't do that, all you're going to have are star trails. So by doing a polar alignment, I have to line up the mount to the to a star called Sigma Octanus, which is our the South Celestial Pole. So in the Northern Hemisphere, it's Polaris, which is the North Star, which is really easy, really visible in the Southern Sky. I do use a, a product called the Pole Master from QHY. It's a little camera that goes on the front of the mount, and that then can, connects to my my PC, and I can see the live view from the camera, and I can see the stars that I have to align, and then I have to adjust the altitude and azimuth uh, of, of the mount to get it in the right position. Once you've done that, then you're good to go. Then you can then uh, you can point at various deep sky objects, but knowing that the mount is going to follow the rotation of the Earth. So no matter how long your images go, the mount is is accounting for that slow rotation of the Earth. Now, in this instance. I also use another little product called the ASI Air Pro. It's from a company called ZWO, who also make the camera, which I'll talk about in a minute. The ZWO ASI Air Pro is like a little mini computer. It's like the traffic cop of the mount. It connects to the camera, it connects to the mount, and it allows me to control both using an app on my iPad Pro. There's also an Android version as well. So it creates a little wireless network. I'm able to log into it through the iPad and see what the camera sees and even move the mount if I have to using the uh, ASI Air Pro as well, which is, as I said, as I said connected to the mount. In, in this case, on the camera side, I did have a couple of choices. The first choice was uh, a Canon EOS RA. That's the R series. The A is actually a dedicated astrophotography DSLR that Canon made. It has a special filter to bring out that colours in the nebula. And uh, I, I did have a choice of using that or a dedicated a dedicated astrophotography camera. And the same company that makes the ASI Air Pro, ZWO, a Chinese company, they have a fantastic range of dedicated astrophotography cameras thing about them though they look nothing like a camera they look like a big tin can because all you need to do is screw it onto the end of the telescope uh, focus the telescope as well and then you're taking your images but the other big difference is that when you're normally taking a shot with the with the DSLR long exposures especially when they're minutes long normally the sensor starts to heat up a little bit and when that happens, that introduces noise to your image. So there's a lot of grain that comes into your image. With the dedicated ZWO Astro camera, and the one I used was the ASI 2600 one-shot color camera, this has a – I'm able to cool the camera down to as much as minus 20 degrees Celsius – so that keeps the sensor really, really cool, so eliminates that, that, that grain and that noise, most of that from your image. 
In this instance, I had the camera down to about minus 10. I didn't want any grain in the image at all. And and even though my exposures were only very short, it's just out of habit that I had the, had it running uh, cooler because there are instances where I'd be taking three-minute, five-minute exposures uh, 20 times, 20 of them at a time. So I've got to take 20 times five minutes that's a long time. The sensor normally gets hot, hence the reason why these dedicated Astro cameras have these cooling capabilities to help take that grain out of the image. Now, when it came time to shoot the moon, as I said, the exposures were were pretty short. It was 0.1 of a second when I'm normally shooting the moon, but in the, in the case of the blood moon, which had a shadow over it, so I had to bring out the detail, I did try 10 seconds, two tried five seconds, but three seconds seemed to be the sweet spot. So I took a mountain of those uh, and, uh, and then continued to shoot the moon once the shadow started passing over the back end of it so that I was then back returning to 0 0.2, 0 0.1 of a second exposures. But I'm really happy with the result. Uh, you can see the images for yourself. There's even a photo of my rig as well with a Skywatcher telescope, the mount, the ASIR Pro. You can see the camera uh, on the end as well. And I've got a couple of guide scopes there as well. So a guide scope is another thing used. It's like a smaller telescope that helps in the guiding. It sort of normally locks on a star and then sends little impulses to the mount and, and, and then helps with the accuracy of the guiding. I am going to be writing a lot more about astrophotography and this whole thing. I'm going to be talking about it more in the future. Um, there's going to be stories on Tech Guide and videos in the near future as well of my journey into astrophotography. But I thought... I would share this bit of uh, info for you guys because I did have a lot of people asking me, look, that, that they really liked the photos and were really keen to hear how I captured it. So now you know. But if you want to see those images of my, the super blood moon captured in my from my backyard here in Sydney, in the eastern suburbs of Sydney, you can check that out at techguide.com.au. This is Tech Guide with Stephen Fennec. Now, we've all heard of Google Maps and, uh, and Street View in particular. These are uh, very handy tools to, uh, I always check out a venue if I need to drive somewhere. I normally hop onto Google Maps and check out the, the destination and how I'm going to get there and the various uh, options I have to get there. Uh, and even on Street View, if there's a particular address that I have to check out, I do like to see, uh, try to see what, what will, first of all, what the building looks like. So when I get there, I know where I am. And also I try to sort of look at street signs to check out parking situations. So the, these are really handy tools to be able to, to, to plan your journey. If you're, you're commuting or uh, you're driving, it is really handy to know where you're going, what it looks like, where you need to go, where you need to be. So now Google has expanded this capability to include train stations. Uh, they've started with the Sydney train station. So they have started with St. James, Circular Quay, Milsons Point, Parramatta, a lot of the metro stations as well. The, the Sydney was the first from, from Google. But rest assured, those of you listening in other states, Google Maps train stations are also coming to you as well. So expect later in the year, in the coming months, you'll see train stations uh, on Google Maps in Melbourne, Brisbane, Adelaide, all the major capitals, all, uh, and your, your metro networks will be mapped. Now, how they're mapped, it is very similar to Street View. So imagine, you know, on Street View where you're on a particular, on a particular site and you can you can click your mouse to go up the street a little bit, down the street a little bit, and turn around and look around. Well, imagine that capability 
in a train station. And you think about how complex some of these train stations can be. This is a really cool feature. So if you're someone who you need to commute somewhere, you need to know, you might be when eventually tourists come back to Australia, they, they're not familiar with our train network and the train station. So they're able to plan ahead to see what entrance they need to use, what exit they can take, what platform they need to use. And and also just they can, they can get their bearings without being there to get their bearings. So not only is it handy for those passengers who need to get from A to B and go through these these sometimes very complicated t- train stations, but it's also handy if you consider the number of passengers perhaps uh, that are in a wheelchair or maybe even parents travelling with a pram or someone is, is has got luggage with them. They're rolling their luggage along as well or you might even be on crutches. You, might, you, you can't use stairs or escalators. You need to be able to know where the lifts are, where the exits are, so you can plan the journey ahead of time. Uh, I think it's a really good idea. And again, Sydney was the first, but it's not going to be the last. There's going to be plenty of other stations around Australia. So they've started in Sydney. There are 70 train stations and metro stations across Sydney. And they include all the uh, access for accessible routes, entrances, exits, signage, paths inside the station, all of that. Uh, so you can access it now within Google Maps uh, on your dev- on your mobile device and also on your browser, but it is coming to other states around Australia. Google is right now in the process of capturing those images that make up street view, and in this case, train view, for the near future. If you want to take a look at what it looks like, you can check it out at techguide.com.au. Panasonic have just released their latest Lumix camera. I'm a big fan of the Lumix cameras. They've uh, really high quality shooting 4K. This 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 particular camera, the Lumix GH5M2, which is a micro four thirds mirrorless camera. So it's small, but you can still uh, change uh, change lenses on the on the camera. This has uh, shoots in 4K up to 60 frames a second, 10-bit internal recording. So for you just shooting on the spot, tremendous quality. It does have a flip-out screen that you can adjust to be shooting towards yourself or you can see very clearly, frame up your shots with the screen on the back. But this is a camera with another feature, and that feature is live streaming. It works with wired IP streaming. Tethered mobile streaming is going to be available in the very near future. It's going to be available from July, so from uh, from uh, next month. You're going to see you're going to see the GH5 M2. It costs two thousand six hundred ninety nine dollars. That's body only, so BYO lenses, unless you already have some Lumix lenses or other compatible lenses. But this really is, it marks a real uh, a, a point in the evolution of these products. We first saw full HD, and then the next step was mirrorless cameras, and then it was 4K cameras, and, and uh, the different the formats that you can shoot in, H.264, and all these different protocols. Uh, and now the natural progression of this is that these cameras have really made it easier for content creators to come up with some amazing content. And what, what is that next step of the content creator? Social media, naturally, YouTube, of course. But now the other big, the other big thing that's happening right now is live streaming. 
I'm sure you've seen and heard plenty of live streams. And now with this with this camera, the GH5M2, you are also able to to you have that live streaming capability. For you, you can there's two ways you can do it. The wired live streaming works through the Lumix webcam software. So that's just if you want to use it as a as a webcam. So if it's if it's fixed, you got it uh, through your wireless network at home. The software makes it possible to use the camera as a high quality webcam. So if you're broadcasting through Zoom, Skype, what all all, all of these different uh, types of streaming services or virtual meetings um, services, you can use that as well. But there's also it does also comply with the RMTP and RMTPS protocols so you can stream directly to YouTube and Facebook. And, and that's all done without the need for a, play, a paid cloud streaming server. So right out of the box, this can have you streaming to YouTube and Facebook all within this device with the help of an app or the software. But there's no need to buy any other third-party hardware. It's all contained within this product. Now, of course, it's a high-quality camera. It has Bluetooth 4.2 on board. It's got Wi-Fi, but uh, dual dual band Wi-Fi, 5 gigahertz and 2.4 gigahertz. Also has high-precision autofocus. With recognition, it recognizes eyes, face, and head, all done separately with real-time detection technology. So even after focus, it can keep track of your subjects if they're moving and keep them in focus. On board is also a double SD memory card slot and it can handle high-speed capacity UHS-2 cards for relay backup and allocation recording. So uh, it's got all the bells and whistles and it is available in several different ways. You can either buy the body only or you can buy it with a 12 to 60 millimeter Leica lens, a 12 to 35 lens, a 12 to 60 Lumix G lens. So various price points that I've outlined on Tech Guide. It is going to be available from July 2021. But if you're into your into creating your great content and you think well you're ready to live stream that to the world, and you don't want to buy any other equipment but but a good camera, the GH5 M2 from Lumix is the the right camera for you. If you want to check it out, see what it looks like. Not out till July though. Won't have a review to you till next month, but you can see what it looks like and all the specs. Check it out. Techguide.com.au. This is Tech Guide. The Tech Guide podcast is proudly supported by Netgear. They're Australia's number one Wi-Fi brand. Is your Wi-Fi struggling to keep up with your streaming, work, gaming, video calling and more? And what happens if you're doing all of that at once? When you're connected to your world by Wi-Fi, be sure it's the best. Bring your Wi-Fi up to speed with Orbi Wi-Fi 6 from Netgear. Orbi Wi-Fi 6 is the best and latest in Wi-Fi. It covers your entire home with the fastest Wi-Fi for uninterrupted streaming, video calling and working and learning from home on more devices than ever before in any part of the house. It's Wi-Fi perfectly engineered. Are you ready for the best Wi-Fi ever? Find out more at netgear.com.au slash best Wi-Fi. And now, a Tech Guide review with Stephen Fennec. Kicking off this week's reviews are another uh, one of the Apple's latest products. It's the Apple TV 4K. And I think a lot of people have looked at this product and thought, well, it looks the same. 
And a lot of people assumed there's not much difference, but I have to disagree. This is a huge leap forward for the Apple TV 4K, and in particular, the uh, the Siri remote. That's completely been redesigned. It is a lot better. And the device itself, the Apple TV 4K, also has a faster processor and can provide a better viewing experience and even a better audio experience too. It does help that the A12 Bionic chip is on board. It has 64-bit architecture, and that adds to the to the product's new video decoding capabilities and also increases the audio enhancement. So your TV shows, your movies, sports, games are going to look and sound better than ever before. Now, setup is, again, famously easy because it's an Apple product, and if you're an iPhone user, it is particularly easy. Not really Android-friendly. If you're an Android user, you're going to have to connect this the hard way. Uh, so not not uh, if you're an Android there, not going to be as simple. But if you have an iPhone, it is a breeze. And setting up the device, all you need to do is bring your iPhone close to the Apple TV, and then you'll see the icon come up on the, on the screen to set up your Apple TV. It, it'll sign in with your, your current Apple ID that's, that's registered on your phone, and then bing, bang, boom, a few seconds later, a few minutes later, I should say. It didn't take seconds. It took a few minutes. Uh, it's ready to go. It's, re- it's set up, and, uh, and you're good to go. Now, the controller has had a different, uh, has a totally different look and feel. It's a bit bigger, a bit thicker, has a, a much easier uh, navigation keys, very simple layout. There's only, there's only six different buttons on the remote itself, seven if you count the off button. The, the, voice, the voice button is now on the side of the remote. That was confusing, I think, for some people. It was on the front of the old remote. Now it's on the side. So if you want to ask Siri to find your content or navigate through whatever you're watching, you might say, hey, you know what? Find movie starring Tom Cruise. And boom, up comes all these movies starring Tom Cruise. Or you might say, go forward two minutes. And it'll go forward two minutes or go back two minutes. So it is rather than you have it to jog through and find your spot, you can just use your voice. But there is, though, a feature that makes jogging to where you want to view a lot easier, and that's the circular jog wheel on the top of the direct and the directional keys there. So when you're pausing whatever you're watching, say you're watching a movie and you want to go forward a certain a certain you want to go forward a, to say a few minutes, you can turn you can rub your thumb counterclockwise or counterclockwise to uh, in, in, in whatever direction you need. So if you want to go forward, you go clockwise. If you want to go backward, you go counterclockwise. And you just winding, rubbing your thumb along, along the outside of, that, of the jog wheel is really easy to find the actual spot where you need to go. So that that's that's a re- that 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 itself is a, is a one of the new features that makes using this a lot easier. So getting to your content where, where exactly you need to be is a lot easier. On the remote as well are volume controls, and when it when it's connected to to your TV, we connected it to a Samsung 4K TV. It was able to we were able to control the volume of the TV through the remote. Uh, and also had the option of turning the TV on and off as well. So power we could control through the Siri, the new Siri remote as well. And 
the controls itself very simple you could you could probably you could use it it doesn't take much to get used to it you can use it without even looking at it so if you're in the if you like to watch a movie within the dark there's no light you can easily navigate to where you need to be uh, just by feel so you don't really need to look down now the other new feature which is really cool is called color balance when it's time for you to perform the color balance of your tv it actually uses your iPhone. It uses the sensors in your iPhone to improve the TV's picture quality. So when you engage color balance, a iPhone-shaped object appears on the screen. So an iPhone shape appears on the screen. And what you need to do is to bring your iPhone and to and put it screen forward, so screen to screen to the TV, and it'll use the camera and proximity sensor to guide you to the target, but then it uses the light sensor on the iPhone to create a comparison between your TV's current color balance to the industry standard specifications used by filmmakers. And at, at once, once this color balance is done, you're then presented with an image of you being able to see color balance. So you'll see one side with the color balance, and the other side, the original, how the, the TV originally looked. And you're then able to use either the original or the, the, the balanced look as well. So that, that's the choice. You can toggle between the two and you can see the difference. I ended up using the balance because I thought it, was, it offered uh, better, better color quality. So there were deeper colors and, and brighter colors. So I thought, yep, I will go down that way. So I did adopt the new color balanced as well. Uh, and of course, uh, Apple TV allows you to have access to all of your apps, Netflix, all your streaming services, Stan, KO Sports, Disney Plus, you name it, you can download them on the app store that's part of Apple TV. Now, one of the other new features uh, is, and, and look, we've all got pretty high quality TVs nowadays. Is They're 4K, they could be on the larger side. So we want to have the best possible experience. The other, the other improvement here, what you get with Apple TV 4K is both Dolby Vision and HDR10. They're the two leading HDR formats that are used in the industry. And depending on the brand of your TV, some, some are compatible with Dolby Vision, some are not. I think Samsung TVs don't support Dolby Vision. They support HDR10. So having a, a product like Apple TV 4K can sort that out no matter what TV you're using. So you're getting that great uh, high dynamic range. So you get that much better contrast ratio, that, that greater color depth as well. Uh, so that that in itself is really handy also. Uh, the other new feature too is that it's it's also compatible with HDR high frame rates as well. So it can play, it can play up to, it can support content streamed at up to 60 frames per second. So uh, that sort of adds to the the look of the, of the film. It looks a lot smoother and cleaner. Uh, and good to know that Apple TV 4K also supports that. So you're not compromised on what you're watching. This opens up all these other possibilities. So uh, the high frame rate HDR, watching content at 60 frames per second. If, uh, if, you, if you know what to look for, it, you can notice a difference. So smoother, more natural appearance. Uh, I, I put it to the test. It's particularly good when you're watching... Uh, action films and sports. Sports in particular is really much better with uh, 60 frames per second. So that's all supported now through Apple TV 4K. So if you're watching KO Sports, for example, you can now enjoy that far, uh, that, that smoother and uh, faster frame rate. 
The other thing too is also an improvement on the sound. So if you've got a Dolby Atmos set up at your place, you can enjoy this amazing three-dimensional sounds that runs in all directions, including from above you. That's why it's called Atmos, because it creates an atmosphere of sound. You might not have known that. And if you've got a compatible sound system, you're going to get this amazing immersive experience. So uh, pretty cool. Video is going to look great. The audio is going to sound good as well. Uh, the app store is there too. And this isn't just for movies and TV shows. You can also play a lot of games. It can be your gaming arcade and your gym as well. Uh, there's Apple Arcade, so you can find the latest games. And the good news is you can control them with either your PlayStation or Xbox game controllers. So that's if you're an Xbox or a PlayStation user, it doesn't matter. Both are compatible now with Apple TV 4K, so you can take control of these latest games using your controller. Apple Fitness Plus also works with Apple TV 4K. And what it does, it allows, it offers all these amazing uh, fitness classes with the, with the world's best instructors, and it also takes your in-session metrics. So if you're wearing an Apple Watch, for example, it'll take your heart rate and calories burned while you're using Apple Fitness Plus and display it on the screen in real time. So you can see on the screen what your heart rate is without even having to look down at your watch. So that's that that whole synergy of the Apple ecosystem there, Apple Fitness Plus with Apple TV 4K and an Apple Watch. It all comes together to create this amazing exercise experience. So it's not only your TV, your, your streaming services, your movie theater, your gaming arcade, but also too, it could be your gym. So uh, you can get fit as well as watching all your favorite content all with the Apple TV 4K. Uh, it's available in two capacities. 32 gig is 249 bucks. 64 gig to store more apps and more data is 279 bucks. Uh, I think a, a worthwhile improvement here. This is a, a big improvement over the previous model. Despite it looking exactly the same, that new Siri remote control, you'll notice the difference there straight away. As you will, once you fire it up, you'll see all these cool new features to make your content look and sound better than ever before. If you want to read our complete review, check it out, techguide.com.au. Well, next up, we're looking at the Dyson V15 Detect. And uh, the first line in my review is the fact that I'm a big Star Wars fan, so being lasers interests me. Uh, but I never thought that one of the products that would would be uh, that would interest me so much would be Dyson's latest V15 Detect because it has an onboard laser. Now it uses lasers here to illuminate the hard floor surface, so it to reveal hidden dust on the floor. When you look at the floor, you think, "Oh, that looks clean." You turn on the laser. And you'll see that it's actually not clean, that there are plenty of particles and hairs and things on the floor that you would not have seen with your naked eye. But because the laser is there in the head of the vacuum, it exposes everything in front of the head so you can see exactly where you need to clean. Now, this idea came from one of the many Dyson engineers who was noticing the light streaming in from the window. And, you know, when you see the light coming in, you can see the dust in the air. That's where he got the idea from and put it to use here 
by creating this technology. So there's this tiny laser diode in the head of the vacuum at a 1.2 degree angle or that it illuminates the floor just above the head uh, at such an angle where you can see clearly what is in front of you. Now, at my place, uh, and this only works on hard floors, the laser, at my place, I've got off-white tiles. So they're sort of beigey colored tiles. And I also have two Dalmatians. Now, their little white hairs uh, are very clear to see on my dark carpet. I've got kind of chocolate-coloured carpet, and the white hairs appear really clearly. But on the tiled floor, they're virtually invisible. You can't see it. If I was to say, yeah, that looks clean, but yet when I turn on the laser, I see all these little Dalmatian hairs in front of me that I haven't picked up. So here you are with a situation where your eyes aren't a good enough judge to tell what's clean. So with the laser, you're able to then see the particles, the hair, whatever's in front of you, you can now vacuum it up. So that that in itself is a great new feature. The other new feature is the acoustic detection. And what that, the, it's acoustic dust sensing. So what happens with the, this, this technology is remarkable. It can detect the size of the particles being vacuumed. And by that size detection, it can tell what sort of dust or particle it is. So you can see, in another way, whether your floor is clean. So when you're seeing on the back of the handle, you'll see where you, where you change from modes. When you're, whatever mode you're in, there's now a little graph showing you the, the amount of particles that are being cleaned at that particular second. And you can then notice that once these these graphs start to drop, you know that you're nearing a clean situation there. So here's two scenarios where the laser and the acoustic sensing are giving you, apart from the what, what we normally use to see what to judge what's clean, our eyes. Here is two new ways for you to just to see whether your floor is actually clean. And, and with the acoustic sensing and the laser. So it now comes to not only having a clean household, but also a healthy household, because this can also tell you if it's pollen, if it's a dust mite, whatever it happens to be, you know what you're vacuuming. And you can tell if one particular graph spikes, you know, oh, geez, a lot of pollen in this little part of the house. It might be in the kitchen or in the, in the lounge room. Or there might be plants. So you, without just by looking, you can't tell, but Dyson's technology now can give you a level of clean that we, can't, we couldn't have achieved before without this sort of technology. So I think if you're a, if you're a clean freak, for want of a better word, you're going to love this. But also, too, it makes it easier to know when clean is actually clean because our eyes are just not strong enough to see what is required. Now, the other thing that's included is a new head for, for, uh, for vacuuming human and pet hair. That is the biggest enemy of a vacuum cleaner is hair. And I live in a household with three women who have long hair and there's, uh, that's any, any tanglement in the vacuum, I blame them. And, but now with the new conical-shaped angle, this anti-tangle tool, you can now deal with that really easily and because of its shape it's able to vacuum the long hair so it winds up to the top of the smaller to the top of the comb which is smaller than the base and then eventually it's got nowhere else to go and then it gets sucked up into the vacuum cleaner it's a smaller attachment so you can use it on furniture and in tight areas but 
you're not going to see any hair tangled in this thing because it's uh, it, it's shaped that way and works in such a way. So I think another big tick for Dyson right there. Now in the performance side, I think there's not much of an improvement on the performance side. So similar battery time. I think it's up to 60, I think 48 minutes I got on eco mode or 50 minutes, about 11 minutes with boost mode. Same deal with the previous model. The dust bin is the same. The mechanism to empty the bin is the same. Uh, so not a huge improvement in the, even the decibel level is about the same. But what's new this time around are those features, the laser, the the acoustic sensing, uh, and and the that or the anti-tangle head as well, the anti-tangle for the for human hair and, and dog hair if you've got a long-haired dog. That they are the new features. So if it's performance that you're looking to improve, not it won't improve it, but how you use it is going to improve because you can see if things are clean or not a lot easier than you could with the early model. Now the D the Dyson V15 Detect starts at thirteen hundred and ninety nine bucks. If you want to pay a little bit more, you get the full HEPA filtration uh, and a grab and go dock, so you can ch- mount it on the wall to charge it, and so it's ready at your fingertips if you need it. If you want to read more about the Dyson V15 Detect and see the laser in action, check it out. Tech guide.com.au Now when you talk about LG, LG is a company, I think we spoke about them last week with their TV range. The first thing that comes to mind is a television, naturally, because they're one of the leaders. They create amazing OLED TVs, and I think last week we spoke about the rollable OLED TV, which if you had a lazy $130,000, you'd be able to buy. But LG have re-entered the laptop market. They announced this back in January at the Consumer Electronics Show, and we have reviewed the 17-inch version of their new laptop. It's called the LG Gram. And I have to say, I was really impressed with this because three sizes, 14, 16, and 17-inch, we chose the 17-inch because it's go big or go home, right? We thought, yeah, let's go the big baby there, the big the big puppy, 17-inch model. And what, what really surprised me about this thing was uh, how light it was. So big 17-inch laptop. Pick up a 17-inch laptop and it weighs, it's measured in the kilos. It's a heavy, heavy laptop. But in the case of the LG Gram, I picked it up and I was so surprised at how light it was. Uh, reason that it is so light, it's made out of a magnesium alloy, so it doesn't use heavy materials, still has the strength. But they've done a remarkable job to to keep this on the lighter side. And and by lighter, I'm talking, I think it's 1.3 kilos, which for a 17-inch laptop, that's really impressive. Uh, the screen is, is a nice size, of course, 17-inch. It is also a nice shape. It is a 16 by 10 aspect ratio, not the traditional 16 by 9, which is your sort of cinema, your movie screen shape. 16 by 10 actually adds an an extra 11% screen real estate. So that makes it the right shape for everything. It's good for viewing websites. So in one screen, you can see a lot of content in one place without having to scroll so much. Uh, If you're using apps or editing a movie or working on an image in Photoshop, all your info's there, so enough screen real estate without you having to sort of scroll up and down and all around. 
And then, of course, when it's time to kick back and watch your movie, it looks fantastic on this big 17-inch screen with the aspect ratio that's very similar to what you'd get if you're watching a movie, so with the 16 by 9 aspect ratio. So all around there, pretty good. The screen quality, as I said, wide color gamut, beautiful colors, accurate, natural, really thin bezels too. That's what I like about it. So you're getting a big screen but not in a, as, as big a chassis as you'd normally expect a 17-inch screen to sit in as well. It is light, as I said, 1.35 kilos is the exact weight of it, and it is super light, really light. Uh, it is, uh, has also passed military standard durability tests, and this included drop tests, high temperature tests, low temperature tests, dust and vibration, so it can handle the day-to-day. On the keyboard side, really nice size keyboard, good size keys. It's also big enough to have a dedicated uh, numerical keypad on the right-hand side. Pretty cool. A lot of travel in the keys. They're elevated at 1.65 millimeters. So it might sound funny, but it's less work for you to do. Because they're raised at 1.65 millimeters, your fingers don't have to travel as far to hit the button. So with with laptop keys that are more into, like not as high as that, it does actually take more work. So he, these are less, it's a bit more comfortable to type. On the security side, there's a fingerprint reader embedded in the in the on button in the top right-hand corner for added security. That uh, And once your finger's on there, boom, it, it unlocks instantly. The trackpad also has the exact same 16 by 10 aspect ratio of the screen and is large enough for really easy navigation. And of course, under the hood, very important, the Intel Evo 11th generation quad-core i7 with a turbo boost of up to 4.7 gigahertz. So performance-wise, you're not going to be disappointed. Speed and power at your fingertips, 16 gig of RAM, 512 gig solid-state drive for your storage. So whether it's an entertainment device, a workhorse, you are getting a lot of bang for your buck here. It does hold its own. The other thing, one little thing probably lacking in the in the graphics department, the GPU could be better, provide a slightly more smoother experience. But um, still great for watching video content, great for playing games. Probably could look better if it had a better, GP, uh, better GPU. Plenty of connectivity as well. Full-size HDMI port, two Thunderbolt 4 ports, you can transfer data up to 40 gigabits per second, and you can also deliver up to 100 watts of power through the same port. There's a headphone jack. Uh, the lightning ports can also be used to connect external 4K monitors or one 8K monitor, if that's what you're after. Over on the right edge are two USB 3.2 ports and a micro SD card reader, which uh, I think is a really handy little feature. Wireless connectivity, Bluetooth 5.1 and Wi-Fi 6. It's, that's the latest Wi-Fi standard. So if you do have a Wi-Fi 6 router, you're going to notice a bit of an improvement in the speeds there. Battery life, another good feature. LG quoted it as being up to 19.5 hours. We got it to about 14 to 15 hours with the that's doing everything on the on the laptop so that's pretty impressive again a full full day and a half if not two days work on the you know having a big laptop you have a big battery that that's the the bonus there uh, so given the size of the laptop and the the the, uh, the the size of the display that has to be powered the battery life is quite impressive it's uh, priced at three thousand and nine dollars why didn't they make this two triple nine three thousand and nine bucks. If you ask for a discount, maybe ask them to round it down to three. I don't know. $3,009. At that price, though, it sort of puts it in the same category as a gaming laptop. 
So you've got to make the decision here. Do you want something light, like the LG Gram, or do you want something that is maybe has a similar size screen, probably better on the graphics side, but it's a lot heavier? That's the big difference here. If gaming's what you want, then probably you're going to buy a gaming laptop. If this is, if it's something that you want to use day to day, do some editing, video editing, whatever you want to do, then the LG Gram uh, is going to is going to do is going to do the job for you. So you got the choice there. The LG Gram 17, it's priced at 3,009 bucks. And if you want to read the complete review, you can read that at techguide.com.au. This is Tech Guide with Stephen Fennec. The Tech Guide podcast is proudly sponsored by Norton. They're the company that can keep you and your family safe online. There's been a rapid increase in cybercrime with constant data breaches, online scams and ransomware, just to name a few. Norton's all-in-one cyber safety solution, Norton 360 Premium, now comes with dark web monitoring powered by LifeLock, which helps notify you if your personal information is discovered on the dark web. It also includes device security and secure VPN with bank-grade encryption to help keep you private, online, plus a password manager, PC safe cam and more. With Norton's award-winning security and globally trusted protection across 50 million customers, rest assured Norton 360 Premium with dark web monitoring is the all-in-one protection for your devices and data. Norton 360 Premium is available now at leading retailers. And now, answering all your tech questions, the Tech Guide Help Desk. The Tech Guide Health Test brought to you by our good friends at Belkin. Belkin, if you're after cable, speakers, batteries, you name it, they've got it. Belkin.com forward slash AU is where you need to go. They've recently introduced also AirTag uh, holders as well, secure holders for the AirTag, which uh, I've used. The uh, A question I get asked a fair bit, and there was one in particular, uh, is the use of memory cards. And some people are saying, well, the memory card's not working. And... They said they've formatted the card and still not working, but we think that the problem is that it's not formatted in the right way. There is a way to format, uh, the, the different way of formatting in terms of the different uh, the different technology, uh, the different requirements, I should say, for the memory card. So in the case of, uh, let's, let's use the Surface Pro, for example, there's two choices when it comes to formatting. You can either format it in NTFS, or in XFAT, that's E-X-F-A-T. So these are different formats so that the data is saved in a certain way. Certain devices, certain operating systems require different formatting. I know on a Mac, you can you can also use XFAT, you can use all NTFS, all these other things. They, they do have their own formats that work best for that particular system and how it saves to a memory card. So I think if you are having trouble with uh, say storing uh, especially for computer products. So cameras, they're fine. I think if you format the card in the camera, that's not an issue. But formatting it to use then on a in a dash cam or in a, a computer, a laptop, that's where you need to do your homework to find what particular style of formatting suits your device. And that is the end of our show. Everything we've spoken about, of course, you can find at techguide.com.au. Uh, we love to hear from you as well. If you have a question, you can get in touch with us. Email us at info at 
techguide.com.au. We want to give a special shout out to our sponsors, Netgear, the brand you can trust for all your Wi-Fi needs, and also Norton, the company that can keep you, your family, and your devices safe online. Please support the sponsors that support the Tech Guide podcast. Thank you once again for listening. We'll be back with another episode next week. So until then, stay safe and stay connected. Stay connected.